Grace and peace be unto you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Once again, we're back to basics another evening with none other than Archbishop D. Miles Goffin, our extraordinaire, our teacher. I uh, want to share this with you that we're in for a treat tonight. Now, I am telling you, I had a sneak preview on last week of what's going to be tonight. I'm excited to get this all over again. And I know Apostle Walter Barber can say the same, but we had a discussion about it because he was cheating too. Well, listen, tonight we're going to open up with prayer. And then at the next voice you will hear be none other than our teacher, Dr. Golfin. Our Father and our God, we thank you for all that you shall deposit in us tonight by using your manservant, Lord. We thank you for him. We thank you for downloading to him what he should share with us, God, for that we can be become a better us. Father, we thank you in advance for what we're about to receive, and we ask you to breathe upon it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Grace and peace be unto you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ tonight. Um, Archbishop Slater was kind of mentioning, uh, we have a funny to tell you. Last week, we um, had decided to, um, we, we got all mixed up. I was in the mountains. Bishop Slater was away with his, his wife, and we were so excited about getting this class. Uh, him and I and Apostle Barbara and my wife was on last week, thinking it was last week was this class. So I did this class last week with them. I was wondering where everybody else was. Nobody was on. Um, but they had a sneak preview. And it's good because, of course, I'm not going to do the same thing I did last week. Um, and they had a little preview about some of the things we're going to do on this week. But, but we're here. I want to remind everybody that this tape is available. Uh, once you registered, you'll be registered for the whole year. You should have been getting reminders about uh, the class on the third Monday, once you've done your registration, it sends you a, a, an announcement, an email a week ahead of time, a day ahead of time, and then an hour ahead of time, and uh, we could be on. Um, when we get through teaching, you can put your questions in the text in the chat section, or you can unmute your mic. Your mic. Archbishop Slater will address and allow you to speak and ask your questions and comments for the session. Um, before we begin, I'm going to move right back into the um, title and the basics that we had here. And I want to talk about the um, YouTube channel that we have, because we do have a YouTube channel. And that, that channel takes us to, uh, before we get back into back to basics, we have a YouTube channel, Kingdom Governance. Actually, there's no space between the, the M and the G, you have to put it all together, King of Others on YouTube, and you can um, subscribe to the channel, and all of these Back to Basics will be up there. This is the eighth session. And then also on our podcast, we have a podcast at anchor.fm forward slash Dennis dash Coffin, uh, take you through an app that you can put on your phone, and you can listen to the podcast there, and go forth from what we're doing with those podcasts there. So we we thank you for that. Again, this is every third Monday. This is the eighth session, the eighth session. And I'm doing a pivot in this section because we've been talking about some things that I've been anxious to get into, just waiting for the Holy Spirit to lead me to those things. But we're going to come back to back to basics. You know, we've been quoting from Jude 3, all eight sections that we've been talking about. Jude says, earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered. So we've been talking about this. I want to rehearse this every time that we're talking about refocusing our ministry 
reflecting on our history and realigning our purpose, realigning our purpose. That's an important aspect to where we are with that. So these three R's are important. Revival, reform, reconstruct. That, that's sort of a pattern in terms of how God has been developing the church. Uh, through revival, whenever there's dry seasons, uh, we need a revival to come about. Revivals are not geared to, to make money. They're geared to take us from a dry season to a season where we are with God, where we can find a spiritual awakening with God again. Um, sometimes in that awakening, there needs to be a reform, reform of some traditions, reform of some practices that we've been doing that just needs to be realigned. And we, we get that with the reform um, purposes. Sometimes there are things that need to be reconstructed. So there needs to be a tearing down. According to uh, Jeremiah 1, he told Jeremiah, I'll give you authority to tear down and to build up. I often point out that we have no business doing the tearing down ministry without having the ability to build up what we tore down. And I think that's an, uh, a firm understanding of where we are in the basics of where we're going with this session tonight. So I want to deal with this three P principle we've been talking about for quite some time, get some scriptural context to it. Promise pattern principle. The first promise, Genesis 3, 15, and I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and all her offspring, he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. That's a messianic promise of Christ coming to straighten out back to basics what's been done in terms of where we are. I want to read from Hebrews 6 and, and 1. Uh, first of all, in terms of the promise, I want to read from Hebrews 6 and 1. I'm not going to put it up on the screen. So if you got your Bibles, you can follow with me. Hebrews 6, Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 1. Therefore, we must progress beyond the elementary instructions about Christ and move on to maturity. Not laying this foundation again, repentance from dead works and faith in God. Teaching about baptisms, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this is what we intend to do if God permits. That's an important element to where we are in terms of the promise. Now let's, let's relate this promise a little more because the promise is really crystallized in Abraham. In, in Genesis six, we get the promise crystallized in Nora's life. Nora, the name Nora means rest. So, so God, found favor with Noah, and there's the promise when Noah comes out of the ark that he's not going to destroy the world with water anymore. But stay right here in Hebrews 6, and let's skip down to verse 13. It's very important, Hebrews 6, 13. I'm reading, by the way, out of the New English Translation, New English Translation. Verse 13 says, now when God made his promise to Abraham, since he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself saying, surely I will bless you greatly and multiply your descendants abundantly. And so by persevering, Abraham inherited the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and the oath swears 
as a confirmation to end all the dispute. In the same way, God wanted to demonstrate more clearly to the heirs of the promise that his purpose was unchangeable. And so he intervened with an oath. Listen to this, verse 18. So that we have found refuge in him, may find strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us through two unchangeable things. So this is impossible for God to lie. What's important is these two unchangeable things. King James says immutable things, two unchangeable things that it's possible for God to lie. So two things that won't change is that God will not lie and he will not fail. So whatever he promised, he will not lie about. And whatever he has promised, he will not fail to achieve it. So he cannot lie, he cannot fail. Those are the anchors for the promise. And I think it's so very important. We're going to stay in the book of Hebrews for the pattern, because we see in Hebrews 8 and 5, the pattern, the place where they serve is a stretch and a sketch and shadow of the heavenly tabernacle. He's, he's talking about now, the writer of Hebrews is trying to get the his audience in the book of Hebrews to move from the pattern to the purpose. Because now that the purpose has been revealed for the pattern, then they have to move on. Paul makes this analogy quite frequently about Abraham receiving the promise. And yet, in terms of what Abraham received and the abundance that came through all of the channels that Abraham did, both natural children and spiritual children, we have this big analogy of what Abraham is doing in terms of the promise. So, And so we create this pattern in worship that is a, an exact replica of the heavenly sanctuary. Just as Moses was warned by God as he was about to complete the tabernacle, for he says, see that you make everything according to the design shown to you on the mountain. The pattern must be made precisely. And then he moved to the principle, Exodus 20, verse 1 through 17, is what we call the Decalogue or the Ten Commandments. Uh, I'm just going to read in verse 2 there that's on the screen. I, the Lord, am your God who brought you from the land of Egypt, from the house of slavery. I'm the Lord, your God, that redeemed you. So this is the, in the principle, there's a redemption. In that principle, there's a partnership in that redemption. So let's look at the, the promise, the pattern, and the principle. The partnership is that God will do, I sometimes call it objective prepositional revelation, which means that God will do what we will do. If we keep the principle, follow the pattern, he will keep the promise, and the promise will, will be kept. It's going to be kept anyway, because he cannot lie, he cannot fail. The question is, will it be fulfilled in your generation or in the next generation? He will skip generations to get to what he wants until he gets to what he wants to have because his word will not fail. So sometimes there have to be generations. I'll show you in the next slide. There's going to be generations of purpose in terms of God putting things on hold so that we see this, this idea of rehearsing, adopting, and perfecting. And I did it in sort of a pattern wheel because we rehearsed the pattern, uh, and that pattern of rehearsing it in worship, we adopt the principles, that's our moral and ethical code, that's what the commandments represent, a moral ethical code, because of sin, 
we had not in, and I, and I have to say this because people keep talking about us being their model deo. In other words, being in the image of God. That's not what seems to happen in terms of the image of God. Um, we're in the image of God. No, we were made in the image of God. Adam was. But according to um, Genesis chapter 5, uh, in fact, let's turn here. Let, let, let me get some scriptural content to some of this before I continue on. Genesis chapter 5, verse 1. The, from Adam to Noah, now we get something else. Well, we already know Genesis 1, where Adam and Eve are made in the image and likeness of God. He breathed the image and likeness of God in Adam. And that, in Genesis 3, Adam mars that image with sin, and he is escorted out of the Garden of Eden. So as he goes out and he develops his family line, according to Genesis 5 and 1, here's what the word says. This is the record of the family line of Adam. When God created humankind, he made them in the likeness of God. He made Adam in his image and in his likeness. He created them male and female. When they were created, he blessed them and named them. The New, the, uh, new English Virgin says humankind or mankind. Look what it says in verse 3, though. There's a shift here. When Adam had lived 130 years outside of the garden, he fathered a son in his own likeness, according to his image, and he named him Seth. Wow, 130 years happened between what God did in verse one and two and what Adam did in verse three. It says, when Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered his son in his own image, according to his likeness, and he named him Seth. So from this point on, the image has been marred. We're no longer in God's image. We're in Adam's image. No wonder David said, I was born in sin and I was shaped in iniquity. The pattern is there. So we so in order to get back on track, we gotta keep rehearsing this pattern in worship. The, the tabernacle is a pattern we have to keep rehearsing. We have to keep adopting the principle. We have to get back. We were created to be holy unto God, but because of sin, we have to be given these principles so we can get back to where we was. We have to adopt the principles, or else we would never perfect the purpose. Now you notice there is a slicing of the pie between all three of these because they are disconnected because God has what I like to term a provisional will, provisional will. Um, sometimes people call it his um, permissive will. It is not permissive will. It is his provisional will. God set this pattern, this principle, and this purpose of aligning things up as a provisional failure. It was not a failure simply on the part of man, but it was a failure on the part that God never intended this to be his ultimate reality, just that it would be provisional to give us in practice for what we're doing. Uh, this, this particular um, program that I'm in, the Zoom has for the host a practice session. 
so I could come on, make sure the video works right, the audio works like before I make it live. Uh, it looks just like this, but it's not. It's a practice session. You can't get into the practice session. You have to wait till I make it live, and then you're in. So we rehearse this pattern until the Lord sends someone who's going to take us and make us back into his image. Now, if, if you if you really don't understand this quite right, turn to Romans 5. But here's, here's where we are in Romans 5. We get this, this idea, this amplification of the justice and what God is doing in terms of bringing us in. Um, Romans chapter 5, beginning at verse 12. So then just as sin entered into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all people because all sin. We all inherited Adam's DNA. We all sin. For therefore, verse 13, the law was given, sin was in the world, but there is no accounting for sin when there is no law. Yet, verse 14, death reigns from Adam until Moses even over those who did not sin in the same way that Adam, who is a type of the coming one, transgressed. And in other words, from Adam to Moses, we have this pattern. Now we get this provisional pattern, principle, that's getting ready to serve a purpose, but this is a practice session. So the law, all these things were about is a practice session. So, so he says, verse 15, but the gracious gift is not like the transgression, for if many died through the transgression of the one man, how much more did the grace of God in the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, multiply to the many? You have to keep reading this now. Verse 16, and the gift is not like the one who sinned, for judgment resulting from the one transgression led to condemnation. But the gracious gift from the many failures led to justification. For if, verse 17, Romans 5, 17, for if by the trans transgression of the one man, death reigns through the one, how much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one Jesus Christ? So now he talks about, and he goes on to really talk about this believer with these two Adams, one, one man, the first Adam, and of course, the second Adam, in terms of there's a new creation, a new reality. I'll talk more about that as we begin these back to bases. So his, in his provisional will, he has given provision. The worship session was meant to cover us until the lamb who was going to come, who was going to take away everything. But we were covered from Adam to Moses. We have this disconnect. And then we get a provisional instance with God where God is sitting up principle and he's sitting up a pattern so that we can have a covering for a season until those seasons would come about before the Lord would just take it away. So Jesus says, I didn't come to destroy the law, I come to fulfill the law. The ceremonial law was only a pattern. Hebrews 10 and 1 says the law, the ceremonial law, was a shadow of good things to come. Everything that we practice in the pattern was supposed to point us to Christ, type to the Antichrist, antitype, so that we get this idea that it points us to Christ. But if we miss the substance of where it's going, 
then we find ourselves in the cycle of the pattern with no purpose. With no purpose. So the question still remains. This is very important. What are we doing in this season? Do we recover traditions? Do we repair structures? Do we renovate leaders? Or possibly, do we work with something new? I don't know. Recover traditions. What does that mean? Now, we have to understand that traditions in itself are not wrong. But I'm going to talk about it the next slide. Traditions in itself are not wrong, especially if we understand that they're only provisional. They're going to constantly change. I mean, God amplified traditions by starting worship with an altar, family moving it to the tabernacle, where we get the Ark of the Covenant, family moving it to the temple. So we see a progression. He put the altar into the, into the tabernacle, and the tabernacle was inside of the temple. So there was a progression of God doing provisional things that he did that never took us into his perfect will yet. That which is perfect has come, of course, is Jesus Christ. But there is a recovery. We've got to get back to basics. In terms of recovering the traditions, we got to go back and look at the pattern. What did we miss in the pattern? What was it about the pattern that we missed? Not to practice it, but to observe it. Paul says these things were written for our, for our learning. We could go. There's some things that need to be repaired. Uh, yeah, we need to repair and bring back absolute truth within our church. Not feelings, but truth. Renovating leaders. Well, I think that's a big one. We need to renovate a lot of ego leaders because the problem is ego has taken over. God's purpose to our ambition. We missed it. We've gotten so ambitious, we're missing the purpose of God. Really, I think what needs to happen is the reconstruction of something new. Look at the statements over here. As some Christians begin to yearn for a manifestation of God's power, a leader or leaders arise with prophetic insights into the causes and remedies of the problems and a new awareness of the holy and pure character of God is present. It's there. This standard of holiness exposes the poverty of the age and stimulates a stirring after holiness by God's people. The leader finds that their eagerness for God's moving is shared by many who have been waiting for God to act and who will rise to follow. Can you feel the pregnancy? The water's breaking. We're pregnant with purpose. It's getting ready to happen. Look at this though. But we have a problem. Problems in three areas. I did these intersecting things that talk about the problems in three areas. It's not what God set up. It's what we interpreted God to set up. We have interpreted law to simply be rules. Simply be rules. 
So law, the law of God has been turned into rules of men that, that seems to be over and over again. Just when you think you've got the pattern together or the rules together, it comes up with something else. And so Jesus really assimilates the law in the Sermon on the Mount. Sometimes you got to, here's what you need to do. You need to look at Exodus 20 and compare it to Matthew 5. The Beatitudes compared to the law of God and see what God is saying there in terms of doing. Our tradition has led us to bondage of religion because we're now sought to seeking God so that our ego is exposed in this whole idea of the fact that we are seeking God now. We're missing out because we're seeking God. We're seeking God instead of being sought after by God. We're philosophically seeking God and our worship, our not our worship, our praise, a substitute for praise has become entertainment. Most of our churches, especially here in the West, have become entertainment centers. No wonder we close down. The pandemic has a purpose. We become so perfected in entertainment, we forgot what we're doing it for. How oh, we're very good entertainers. But are we substituting entertainment for praise? Praise should be an appreciation, awareness, a thankfulness for what God has done. We praise him, we thank him, we give him glory. Not that we entertain, we should not be profiting from praise. Here's a solution. Solution to the, to the law is love. Solution to the tradition is stewardship. Change our perspective from tradition where we're just trying to make ourselves look good and just give of ourselves our time, our talent, our treasure. Our praise needs to turn to worship. You know, you know I say this often, but praise we see, worship we don't. We have to worship internally. We praise externally. In worship, we inhale. In praise, we exhale. What we need, Jesus tells the woman at the well, we gotta worship in spirit and in truth. It becomes so important. <laughs> Somebody asked me a question, the question and answer, how can the body recognize it if they're stuck in the pattern of worship? If the changes in the nuances of worship continually overlooked, or not understood. Well, I'm going to answer this live. Uh, the question I'm going to try to answer it. I, I, I think that's what we're talking about. We keep repeating the pattern and not moving on to with the principle and get to the purpose. The pattern is not to be repeated, it's to be learned. It's the provisional will of God. We have a pattern that's taking us somewhere. Where is it pointing? 
I, I think when we get to the New Testament, that's why we got to get to the point that we, when we see Jesus, John in, in uh, St. John 129, John says, John the Baptist, he's speaking here. He says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin. Because the pattern of worship in the Old Testament was to cover our sins. On the day of the atonement was to cover the sin for another year and then go out. There were seasons of worship. And it was very programmed. All of a sudden, worship in the New Testament is termed as, and you have to begin reading around verse 19 in St. John 4. And he tells the woman that a time is coming that now is that the true worshipers of God are going to worship me in spirit and in truth. There's worship that's got to come in spirit and in truth. That is, that is so important. I think that what we see is a repeating of a pattern. The, 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 the solution is here, but the problem remains. The problem remains. Why is it remains? Because we're still stuck with law. Galatians 5 and 1 says, don't be entangled with the yoke of bondage. When we make the law our holiness, the law was our schoolmaster, Paul says, to bring us to Christ. Galatians 4 was our schoolmaster. It's trying to teach us something. It's trying to teach us a moral code. It's the provisional will of God because what we do in provision can never be accomplished. God set it up for failure, but he set it up so that he could amplify where we are so that we could get to the, to the right protection of his perfect will. So the provisional will moves us to his perfect will. And so we get trapped in the bondage of our traditions, our denominationalism, our structure of our theologies that are not God-centered. That's why we're trying to get back to the basics. We become, we, we make our own bondage around pillars that are not even there, on the same pillars that God hasn't uh, shown. Jesus comes along when they were trying to make pillars in the New Testament and says in, in, in Matthew 11, 28, Come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. It is not difficult. Salvation is not difficult. It is not a bunch of hoops that you have to go through. Jesus said all that they're trying to do is to have power over, power over, instead of having power in. And we've turned this whole thing into entertainment. And often, Quote, quote I've seen many times where it says that Christianity, the defining of Christianity, Christianity started up in Palestine as cell groups, went to Greece, became a philosophy, went to Europe, became a lifestyle, came to America and became an enterprise. We have professional Christians now. And that's a shame. How could the shift in this paragram of production, heavy worship, maintain its authenticity in spite if the camera's sensationalism and technology, that's what I'm talking about. We've made it so sensational. This is another question somebody's asking. How can the shift in this paradigm? We, 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 we've got a shift. 
well, the paradigm is because we, we haven't understood yet that we're in a shift. We're, we're so encircled with the problem that we haven't learned that we've got to move to the solution. Here's the solution. But let me continue for a minute. Here's the real answer. And, I, and I'm getting to the answer. I, I basically set you up there, but I'm getting to the answer. Here's, here's where we're going. And I've been talking about this for the last several back to basics, but I want to really crystallize some things here because these are the three words that are so important. Revelation, mystery, and illumination. Revelation, mystery, and illumination. Now, now what does that relate to? Now, well, let's talk about it. I'm going to pull out revelation first. Revelation, mystery. And illumination. Let's let's pull it out because that's what begins to uh, begins with a revelation of God. I'm gonna get to the next question in a minute, but let's let's talk about what it relates to. The concept of revelation lies at the heart of Christian faith as well as Judaism, because remember our Bible, our Biblios, our holy scriptures is made up of Jewish tradition and Christian faith. So we pull them together of what God did in the old covenant, his provisional covenant, provisional will. That's why it's provisional. It was a provisional will. Now we get to his perfect will in the New Testament because all that he talked about provisionally in the Old Testament was the lead to Jesus Christ, who is the author and the finisher of our, play, our faith. We believe that God had uniquely revealed himself to humanity in the, in the arena of human history. This is very important. Here's our discovery report. God has revealed himself. That's, that's a more important issue. But let me move on to talk about why I'm saying that. I'm, I'm not going to get to the main gist of this conversation tonight. I see that. We're going to get here. But Christians do not believe that we seek God and then find him, as an example in, in Buddhism. But actually, that's a, this is a religious hunt, that we believe that we seek God and we find him. No, no, no. What we really believe in Revelation is that God chooses to reveal himself to us in what we call special revelation. God has given us special revelation. He is a self-disclosure of himself. He has given us special revelation. We don't know God until he chooses to reveal himself. Both Judaism and Christianity are responses to God's self-disclosure in history. God chooses to reveal himself. We don't find him. He finds us. According to John chapter 4, he says that the Father seeketh such to worship him. He seeks those that he wants to put his special revelation in. Hebrews 1 and 1 said God spoke in many different times and many different patterns, has in these last days spoken to us through his son, whom he's made heir of all things. That's where the pattern is. That's where we see that pattern develop. So look at the process of Revelation. Here's the process. This is taken from Revelation 1 and 1. God, the invisible reality of God, gives this unfolding of his perfect will to his son who then transmits it to angels. Angels give it to his messengers and the messengers reveal it to the church. This is really a pattern. This diagram quotes really 
Revelation 1 and 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to Jesus and Jesus gave to the angels, the angels gave to John. And then finally, of course, John is writing these things to the church. So we see the process of revelation it has to come from God through Jesus Christ, through the embassy of, of angels, through the spiritual realm, finally getting to a message to convey special revelation and finally impart it to the church. Notice, if you break this pattern, you miss the process of, of revelation. You miss the process of revelation. Wow. Well, let me finish here. This is important. Now we move to mystery. We broke out the pattern of revelation. Revelation has a process. It has to come from the invisible to the visible. So it comes to the reality of God through Jesus Christ, we get revelation. Well, and so there are three mysteries we're going to really talk about in more detail in the next, next month. The mystery of godliness, 1 Timothy 3.16, the mystery of the church, Ephesians 3.10-11, and the mystery of iniquity, 2 Thessalonians verse 2, verse 7. These three mysteries are the key to unlocking God's provisional will to his perfect will, provisional will. What God intended to set up, it is, it is in the divine that God deliberately set up failure in order to produce perfection. Let me say that again. God deliberately set up failure in order to produce perfection. The three mysteries are here. This one. And so it is in this prison epistle that Paul does God's perfect purpose and intent. Uh, for instance, the revelation of mysteries in Ephesians chapter three. This whole thing about the mysteries in Ephesians three. Uh, the Mystery is there, the revelation of mystery, Ephesians three, one through seven, the purpose of a mystery, Ephesians 3, 8 through 13, and the celebration of the mystery, Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. I'm going to spend some time next month dissecting this mystery. Paul, Paul got this in solitary. This is one of the prison epistles that he wrote. He has such tremendous insight into the mystery of God because he spent some alone time with God while he's in solitary. There's always a purpose for our struggle. God has an intent. His provisional will, which is really his purpose, takes us to the original intent. Paul would have probably not got these tremendous mystery symposiums that he takes us on without having to spend that time in prison, in solitary, so that God could speak to him. Remember, it's Moses that gets the pattern of the tabernacle and gets the principles of the law while he's on the mountain by himself in solitary. So we see that solitary thought there, both in the mountains too. It's that whole idea together. Setting up a failure is what God does. He he. He actually, we don't know that he set up the failure, that's it, until we get to the perfection. 
We don't know that God has set up failure. That's, that's the idea until he reveals the perfection, when that which is perfect has come. So once we get to the perfection, we understand that God has set up failure, not in the sense of failure, that is a tearing down like we think. This is a divine failure, one that was planned. Because according to setting up the purpose and intent, remember Revelation 13 and eight says the lamb was slain before the foundation of the world. So before he set the pattern of worship in the Old Testament provisional will, he had already established his perfect will that had to be done in the right season, in the right time. Galatians 4 and 4, when the fullness of time was come, Christ died for the ungodly in the fullness of time. You get that provisional will there. So, so let me, I have to keep going to this because we keep trying to solve mysteries. Uh, even the mystery of, of the Godhead, we think we've solved it because we've dissected and given it a label. And we think we've solved this mystery of, of the Godhead. We think we've solved the mystery of the church. And we definitely think we've solved the mystery of iniquity. We haven't solved anything. Another characteristic of mystery is that while we know both the elements making up the mystery are true and ultimately fit together, nevertheless, we do not know how they are compatible. Mysteries do not call for answers. They call for insights. Insights. And so revelation comes to Jesus Christ, but they call, they call for insights when we really get to this idea of mysteries. Uh, let me humbly hit this last element of this, which is called illumination. My time is going. Revelation and mystery, we've covered a lot, but before I move into illumination, I have to hit something else, and that's inspiration. The basic issue in talking about inspiration is the balance between the dual nature of scripture, the balance between God's role and human's role. Usually inspiration has to do with the work of God in the process. In Christian tradition and our tradition, this is usually connected with the work of the Holy Spirit as the agent of truth in the world without him. Remember John 16, 13, when he, the spirit of truth is come, he will guide us into all truth. So we, we have to believe that there is inspiration. Now, now let's back up for a minute. Here we are. We already know that Jesus is the door because revelation can only come through the door. Jesus said, I am the door. Can't come to the Father except you come by me. Can't know me unless the Father reveals you to it. So is this soft enclosure from the invisible to the visible. Yet the inspiration of that can only be seen when you use the key. And the key is the Holy Spirit. Because when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you. We need to guide it into the spiritual realm. The truth. We need a guide there. Pneumatology refers to the biblical doctrine of the Holy Spirit. If we're going to start and understand the mystery of God here, we've got to start with the mystery of the Holy Spirit first, not the mystery of the Father. The ontological discussion of, of God, uh, the cosmetology of where God is and who he is in creation. No, we need to find out. Let's start with the Holy Spirit because it's the Holy Spirit who's revealed of truth. 
Paul says the natural man cannot understand the things of the spirit because they're spiritually discerned. So we need to get to the spirit if we're going to understand truth. We're going to understand what God is doing. We're going to get really knowledge. We got to get to spiritual truth. So we need a spiritual pill. That means then we get back to the Holy Spirit. Where what are the three aspects we need to know? We need to know His identity, His attributes. He is God's presence or the person of God. Holy Spirit has a promise. He is the gift of God and he comes bringing gifts. He manifests those gifts. He gives us abilities. Why? It's a practice session. The gifts are provisional because we're getting ready to get into perfection. Uh, he gives us power that works in both our emotions and our intellect because that's where the warfare is. Satan wants to capture what we think and what we feel. So the power of the Holy Spirit is an operation trying to affect us with our emotions and intellect. Now, you won't really understand this until you really understand that a spiritual awakening needs to be in least so we can discover the Holy Spirit today. Here's the real issue of the Holy Spirit's ministry. And the life of the believer is to give us a new life. We get back to the image of God by the working of the Holy Spirit to make us new creations. 1 Corinthians 5, 17. If anybody be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away because all things become new. And then we get the ministry of reconciliation because now we're being reconciled back to the image, the mild day of God through the power of the Holy Spirit working in us through the finished work of Jesus Christ. So now we're moving from his provisional will to his perfect will. Holy Spirit works in the church to bring unity. He's trying to bring all this diversity of spiritual gifts to one is given this gift, another's gift by the same spirit, all this diversity to bring us to the point of making us united so that we can be one. Uh, we get back to the prayer in John 17. When Jesus left, the only thing that's going to give us raptured out of here is the unity that Jesus prayed for and is an accessory prayer in John 17. And the Holy Spirit in the world is a pronounced judgment on the world. Throughout history, renewal has often come before after persecutions and severe trials that God has sent to test and teach his people like this pandemic. What are we learning from this? What are we seeing in God's provisional will that will take us into his perfect will? What are we seeing? What's happening here? What's going on? Well, then we must ask the question, where's the Holy Spirit today? Where was he in the early church? Where was he in the medieval church? Where was the Holy Spirit in the modern church? And more importantly, in our her, where is the Holy Spirit in the postmodern church? We keep ignoring him, and he keeps breaking out and showing up. While our focus is on something else, it is the Holy Spirit that seems to be the key that's unlocking everything that we care to see the wrong way is the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit, the medieval church, the modern church, the postmodern church. Man, I could take an hour on each one of these slides. I'm just kind of gliding through some things.
but the Revelation 5 model. Turn to Revelation chapter 5. I'm almost through. Turn to Revelation chapter 5. Trying to stay within this hour that we have decided this to be. So I'm trying to stay disciplined to the time period we got. But Revelation chapter 5. Look at this. The throne of God. Revelation chapter 5, verse 1. Open your scrolls. I'm going to do a whole series on Revelation. Because <coughs> it's a worship man. But I want you to see something. Revelation 5 and 1. Then I saw in the right hand of the one who was seated on the throne a scroll written on the front and the back and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a powerful angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and to break the seals? But no one in heaven, spiritual man, look at this, or on earth, and it tells us another reality, or under the earth, was able to open the strolls and look into it. Now I want you to marinate on Revelation 5, verse 1, 2, and 3, especially verse 3. Because the throne of God is sitting, the, the, the picture is that there's the throne of God sitting here. Around the throne, everything runs around the centrality of the throne. This is our universal picture. If you want to get to God's perfect will, you got to understand that the throne is in the center of the universe. And there's a spiritual realm around the throne. And inside that spiritual realm, there is a physical world. And then we have a spiritual world. Well, I, I, let me, I did three diagrams to kind of do this, show this point. Here is the throne inside the small circles of centrality. Everything is centered. The energy comes from inside this inner circle. That's the throne of God, spiritual realm. Then, then what we see is the physical realm. Then beyond this physical realm is another spiritual world. Spiritual realm, spiritual world. What's in the spiritual world? The devil and his angels. What's in the spiritual realm? God and his angels. These are two unseen worlds. The middle world, the middle earth, is the physical. That's what's seen. God plans to dwell in the physical reality. However, he's in the spiritual reality now, but he plans to transition his spiritual reality into the physical realm, where he plans to reign from the physical, not from the spiritual. He is now reigning from the spiritual. But the plan has always been from his provisional will to his perfect will was to reign in the physical realm. Hmm. And eliminate the spiritual world, which was created for the devil and his angels. That was the purpose of this dimension here, created for the devil and his angels. Here we are. To the throne of God, around the throne, the spiritual realms, four beasts that are around the throne, the 24 elders, the millions of angels that are here, the physical world, the world that we're in now, everything that can be seen is physical, and in this spiritual world, where there is entrance into the physical world from this side, 
And there are messages coming from this side. And so we are bombarded, according to Paul, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, they're mighty to the pulling down of strong titles. So there's an invasion in the spiritual world. Time to finish. I want to end with this. I'm going to end with this. I'm going to do it anyway. Here's the limit that Jesus was in when he was here. Look back at this reality. I'm going to show you what Jesus did. Remember, Adam was given dominion over the fish of the sea, the fowls of the air, every sweeping thing. So he had power. He was given by God to have supernatural power. That's why we understand who Jesus was and his legal right not to use divine power when he was here because his operation was to use supernatural power, not divine power. If he used divine power, he would have been operating as God and he would have been a legal power broker within the earth. So it was impossible for him to use divine power. That's what he Philippians 2 says, so Philippians 2 talks about this emptying out of God. And so he has to use supernatural power because in using supernatural power, he made it so that whatever he did, we could do because he was teaching us to be back into the marginal day, my old day, the image of God. He was teaching us to get back to God, get back to him, to restore back to his purpose to his things, to everything that we talk about. He was teaching us to get back. Praise God. I'm not finished. I just stopped. Archbishop Slater. Well, well, well. You have left us in the middle of so much. If they don't have no questions, I got a few. <laughs> Please, this is the opportunity we have to answer any of the questions, anything that's come to your spirits and to your minds. Uh, this is your time. This is your moment. Type it up or ask if you want to be to speak. Just raise your hand. We, let's get this going. Let's go ahead and talk. We're going to run out of uh, time, but we'll, we'll take a few minutes over, if you don't mind, to, to relate some of this. If you want to unmute your mic, uh, just let us know. Bishop Slater can unmute your mic if you want to talk. We got one coming. Mm -hmm. Reverend Lawrence, you can talk. Did you unmute him, Slater? They unmuted. Michelle? You can type if you can't unmute. Right. Does anyone else have something they want to share? Let me go to the- Well, I have, a, I have a question here in the chat. It says, so if that be the case, then what is preventing us from using our supernatural power? Here's the issue. We'll talk about this next, next month, but here's the issue. We can, because we have tapped into this reality in the physical world, the fight is for the physical world because that's where God intends to live eventually. That's why Revelation 21 points out that there's a new heaven and new earth because the first heaven and the first pass away. And he comes down out of heaven, comes into the physical realm, tabernacles with us there. But there are two entrances into this physical realm that God wants to do. From the spiritual realm, from the circles that we saw, that comes from the spiritual realm and the 
and the supernatural world. So there's a illegal invasion in the earth, and then there's a legal indwelling of God's Holy Spirit in the earth, but there's an invasion. So, so we have to be very careful to understand. Have you noticed that when Jesus was on the earth, he was bombarded by evil spirits? We don't hear about possession like that in the Old Testament. It is a New Testament phenomenon because now here comes the reality comes in. All of a sudden, these demons now, with centuries of being able to deal with man, has now messed with a reality that God wants to empower. So the idea of the source of our supernatural abilities, James says two kinds of wisdom, either comes from above or comes from beneath. It, it brings us to that. I'm trying to take us somewhere. If you can just be spiritual enough for a few minutes, turn that brain off from your philosophical thinking and get your spiritual mind together. We can, we can move from his provisional will to his perfect will and change the dynamics of the church today. We have one more question. Mm -hmm. As we consider the signs of the times, how can we effectively draw unbelievers to Christ when the church seems to be distracted and disjointed? What should we be doing in this season um, to personify the unity of the faith described in Ephesians chapter four? Pray. Our biggest weapon right now is prayer. Mm. It is our biggest weapon right now. We've got to pray. Um, once we pray, God will empower people to lead, people to go. It's going to have to come through prayer. We don't need rambles, but it's going to come through prayer. We've got to pray for the supernatural because it's going to happen, but we've got to pray for it. Anybody else, please, come on. All yeah, right. we can just be spiritual for a few minutes. So let me ask you this question. Um, in reference to uh, what we're talking about. So when people are coming in, we're moving in the age of a spirituality and they start talking about like necromancing and everything in that arena, uh, which one are we talking about, the spiritual realm or the spiritual world? Or well, if we're talking about the spiritual realm, we're talking about God's dwelling. That's okay. what we talk about, spiritual realm. If we're talking about the spiritual world, we're talking about the realm of Satan. You know, even going back to the law in Leviticus and what, what Moses was, the spiritual world was already working then. That's why Moses and them were given laws not to practice certain things. Uh, all of these practices of the people in Canaan that was already doing, spiritual world was already in existence since Adam's sin. Mm -hmm. And remember, Jesus looked and reflected in, in Luke 18 and 1, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. So there's a, he fell straight from the physical world into the spiritual realm. And so now remember one third of the angels fell with him when he fell. And so we've got this whole thing of the spiritual world invading in Genesis chapter six. So he destroys the earth with water. Yet the spiritual realm is still invading into the physical illegally. And then we get this whole idea. Now we've got an invasion from God. He has, the word becomes flesh and dwell among us. 
we've got an invasion from the spiritual realm now because the spiritual world has been illegally invading the physical world for some time. Yet the spiritual realm, which has been trying to marry with the physical realm, has been doing it since the beginning of time. And so we see, you know, it was a priest who wrote the Lord of the Rings. And I think we see something there we just haven't really, really looked at. Remember the earth in the Lord of the Rings is considered Middle Earth. And, right. and these things are coming up, and yet what we see in terms of maybe a heavenly type being is the elks who are there. And so we, we see this whole reality of the struggle of good and evil. That was what C.S. Lewis does an interesting job with the lion and, and the robe in the closet, too, of showing this whole reality for children and bringing it down. But there is a struggle. It is a spiritual struggle. I've got some other slides that's going to take us even further. I didn't get a chance to get to them tonight because our, our time is out. But I had some other times going to take us to some reality, and I'll, I'll focus on them next week as we develop this whole idea of where we're, where we're going from this reality. We got two and more. Again, to do some things. Yes, yes, Mr. Quaid. All right. Um, next one is how do we pray in the supernatural? In the supernatural, is there a specific way or words that we need to communicate? Romans 8:26 says, We don't know what to pray for as we are, but the spirit makes intercession for us. That's why we have to learn to worship. Because when we worship, we're given words to say that's going to be words that's going to command the atmosphere. But we got to worship first. I thank you, Father. I praise you. I give you the glory. I, I give you the honor. In the midst of a supernatural, ecstatic reality comes this idea of prayer and what Another. God's doing in that atmosphere. Got a couple more. Um, is mm -hmm. it possible that we have misunderstood what it means to be spiritual? I feel like there is a veil that has to be lifted for me to get a better understanding. Thank you for this teaching. All right. Uh, we have because, see, I didn't have time to finish this, but let me just say, I'm going to have some more charts on this. Here's the real struggle. The real struggle is our, is our thoughts and our emotions. And the devil knows that. So we're constantly being bombarded with thoughts and we're being bombarded with sensationalism so that the biggest thing that we're being attacked in in our emotions is sex. Sex has perverted love. And our thoughts have not been thoughts to move into the parts of God. So we've got to overcome, we got this real struggle, what we think and what we feel what we feel and what we think, what we think and what we feel, what we feel and what we think. That's the battle. It is, so we got to tear down the strongholds that's in our mind because we're battling our thoughts. We're battling our feelings. And without the Holy Spirit, we're not going to be able to navigate. We're being pulled to the spiritual. The idea, are we being pulled to the spiritual realm or the spiritual world? Wow. Got a couple more. Um, mm -hmm. So when we pray, is it wrong for us to pray for just our church and members, or we pray more inside of godly things for the whole body of Christ as a whole? A universal prayer is important, but sometimes God moves your, 
your your uh, spirit to specifically deal with your spear. See, everybody has a spear of influence. When we're praying specifically for our church, for our family, for our reality, that's your spear. You have to understand, your sphere of influence covers but so much. It may only cover your family. It may only cover your church. It may only cover your city. It may only cover your state. Or it may cover your nation. Or it may cover other nations. Or it may cover the world. I don't know your sphere. Only you and God knows that. See, what, what Abraham prayed for in Genesis 19 was for his family. There were two cities that get ready to be destroyed. He did not pray for Sodom and Gomorrah. He prayed for his family. He said there's 10 righteous there thinking about his family. Will you save the city? So your, your spear prayer, God will give you the umption in prayer of where your spear of influence is. And so your spear of influence goes in the, in the area that God has burdened your heart with. And sometimes you don't always have the same spear to pray for. I have a prayer calendar and a guide that I pray in different arenas and different things every day and not always the same thing. But then I get a burden sometime for a family member or get burdened sometime for specific churches or, or get a burden for this. So it, it, is, it is how this reality develops and work with you. Prayer is a powerful thing. And so we need the gift of faith. Faith is the gift, not prayer. Prayer is not a gift. Prayer is just communication with God, but the gift is faith. Mm -hmm. All right, got two more. I got a heavy one too. Okay, are we making it illegal by opening the doors? Of course, but we can't help it because our image has been marred. So until we become the new creation, we don't have the ability and let the Holy Spirit guide us. We don't have the ability to go into the spiritual realm. We just keep getting drawn to the spiritual world. Here we go. Where does it, the understanding of Egyptian symbolism, chakras and crystals fit in the diagram? It does, because you have to understand that because there was always a spiritual connection, that's why we talk about idolatry and Baal throughout the Old Testament. That was always this spiritual connection that pulled us in the spiritual world. So we were created to worship. So we were created to have a spiritual connection. We lost the real spiritual connection when Adam left the garden. But there was always this need, this hunger to connect the spiritual. That's where Satan filled the void. Mm -hmm. But it works with our mind and our emotions. And we getting so, we've gotten so used to saving in our tradition, our emotions, that we forgot our mind. But the Bible says we got to be transformed by renewing of our mind because it's what we think and what we see affects how we feel. And so we've just, we've turned salvation into a, an emotional experience without a transformation of our thoughts. Wow, wow. So if nothing, anybody else have anything else before we transition? Make it quick, raise a hand, say something. Oh, we do have another um, can you draw a clearer line between the spiritual realm versus the spiritual world? Not right now. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have enough time. I wish I could. Okay. We just don't have enough time. I will as, it, as the lessons progress, but I can't do it right now. We don't have enough time. We, we, work, we wait over time. 
So I don't have enough time. I appreciate you guys, but we're way over time. I had up the um, the giving. If you want me to put it back up, I'll put it back up again. We did not get such a rich teaching without saying thank you uh, on on the, the teaching that we just received it was major. I hope that everyone went away full, uh, and and it's been a blessing. I know to me as well as those who have been online by the comments, uh, good teaching and all. Listen, let's be a blessing to the to the Archbishop. We have Cash App, we can go directly, it's dollar sign Dennis Golfin, you can get PayPal, we have LIF Global at gmail.com. Listen, let's, let's be a blessing, let's go ahead and let his uh, Cash App ching and bing and do everything we can to it just to be a blessing and let him know we appreciate what he's done. He didn't charge it, didn't charge us to get this information, but where else are you gonna get it at the level that we're getting today? Let's do that. Bishop. I hope we haven't um, scared everybody off, but- uh, No. We're going to, um, we're going to continue this. I, I, I've got a lot more to this. Um, and I, you know, I, I started back in 2011, the Lord blessed me to start prayer clinics. And it was to teach people how to pray. I made journeys around the country quietly to different people. I just prayed for the Lord to send me the ministries that would accept it and that would ask for it. I didn't advertise it, but quietly, I made it around from 2011 until today, a sum total of 30 churches that I did the prayer clinic in just privately. They were very successful. I, 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 I taught people how to pray incessantly um, on the first day. And then I taught leaders how to pray for their people. And I taught pre uh, uh, people how to pray for their leaders. That, that dual response that was developed in prayer, because this is where the warfare really begins. If we don't take the weapon of prayer and use it, we'll never get past God's provisional will to move to his perfect will, because the weapon we need to do use is prayer. And I'll talk more about that because we're, we're getting back to basics. I got a question that said, can you repost the slide with the definition of numerology? I didn't have a definition. Oh, oh, you mean, uh, oh, I'm sorry, Numa. Yeah, sure, sure, I can do that. And the presence diagram, please. Yeah, okay, I can do that real fast. You, you're all pulling the night. These are the slides you didn't get to. Mm -hmm. The spiritual realm, the spiritual world, the believer, the mind and emotions, that's what you didn't get to. I stopped hearing the divine power and the supernatural power. We keep trying to find divine power, but we really need to get the supernatural power. I didn't realize pneumatology was back so far. Here we go. Study of the doctrine, biblical doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Those have been in my, my classes. You know, I've taught about pneumatology for a while. And um, this refers to the, the biblical doctrine of the Holy Spirit. We need to, if the Holy Spirit is our guide, why are we seeking everything else? Because he's the one that has the key. It, it's the, I mean, it's so simplistic. You know, if Jesus is the door, 
The reason we can't open the door, get to the door, is because we don't have the right key. It is the Holy Spirit. Jesus said when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you in all truth. He's the key to get you to the door. He's going to open the door. Otherwise, you're just banging on the wrong door. Absolutely. Powerful. Well, our time is out. I know many of you stayed. Some of you had to leave. But I appreciate your time and your effort. And um, thank you, Bishop Slater, for hosting for us tonight. Um, this all began, I've been telling everyone from a while, before the pandemic started, Bishop Slater, Archbishop Slater was, was, had insight enough to start us on this journey uh, back to basics. And I came to his church with a group of leaders there and we started, we had planned to do this quarterly uh, in, in uh, 2020. Yes, and the pandemic started. So by December, the Lord had just pressed on my spirit to do it on Zoom. And we did four weeks of it in December. And then it was a need to just keep it going. So I decided to do it once a month on the third Mondays. So I'm giving you three weeks to pray and meditate over what we have. Those of you on, don't worry. You signed up for this. By tomorrow, you'll have a copy of this tape. And you can and you'll be have access to the to the um, website in YouTube where all the other sessions are there. So you can try to catch up before we start again on, on next month. So I'm gonna to try to finish some of this on next month while we move into the mystery and uh, on Ephesians 3. Uh, if I don't get a chance to get into the mystery yet, because I think we really need clarity on these spiritual realms and spiritual worlds, I might stay here for a while. It's not, but there's so much we can get into. You just gotta open, you gotta open this key. It's, it's so important. If we don't access the right door, we find ourselves in trouble. Amen. All right. Thank you for your time tonight. And as always, go with God and keep me in prayer. And I'll keep you in prayer. And we'll look forward to seeing you next month. Amen. Bless.